0: Alright, are we ready to worship? Yes. Yeah, I mean you've been worshiping, but are you ready to like worship by the learning and the soaking up of God's Word? Yes. You don't look ready. Just, just loosen up a little bit. We're going to dive into God's Word. We're going to dive into God's Word and it's going to be good. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. For those of you uh, who I haven't met yet, my name is Zach. Uh, and I am stoked to be worshiping the Lord alongside you guys tonight. And uh, we've been going through, well, we really haven't been going through it. Um, we, we were going to start this series called Jesus the Greater, and we did. We, we started this series called Jesus the Greater, and, it's, and it's, a series, it's a sermon series wrapped around the whole concept that the Bible isn't about you. I know it's hard to wrap our heads around sometimes. But listen, the Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus. The Bible's about Jesus. And you know what? It has implications for us. And and, and there's a byproduct by us reading the Bible. We are conformed more to Jesus' image. But here's the thing. We always look at the Bible, and we look at these great characters of the Bible like Moses, like David, like David, uh, like Noah, we look at Daniel, we look at all of these characters in the Bible that we learned in Sunday school, and we have been taught to associate ourselves with these people. And the, and, and the bad thing about that is, guys, when we're constantly associating ourselves with Moses, ourselves with David, what happens then if we fall short of what David and Moses did, we somehow feel inferior. Or, like our Christianity or our spirituality doesn't work. That we are weak sauce Christians just because we can't level up. And yes, I said weak sauce. <laughs> Deal with it. And and, and so we, we need to understand this: that Moses is a picture of Jesus, how he brought liberation to the people of Israel. He brought them from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. Moses did these things, but it was but an image of Jesus saving us from our sin into the promised land of his Holy Spirit. This is what we've been learning in Jesus the greater. And tonight we're going to be looking at one of the most, the most famous character of the Bible besides Jesus and Moses, David, King David. And we know David and Goliath, right? It, does, it doesn't matter where, if you grew up in a Christian household or a non-Christian household, you've all heard kind of the story of David and Goliath, Right? We've all kind of heard the story of David and Goliath. And before, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm going to give away the ending. You're not David, and your issues aren't Goliath. And that's always how it's been painted. You just need to be like David, and you need to have more faith. And your issues are like Goliath, and you just need to go on and and be strong. No, no, no. You're not David. Jesus is David. Your sin is Goliath. Jesus saved you from your sin. Make sense? You guys can leave now if you want. That's pretty much it. That's all I'm really going to talk about tonight. But, um, yeah, stay in First Samuel chapter 8. We'll get to that soon. But I want to give you guys just a little bit of context before we get to this passage. A little bit of context for you guys um, Last time I I spoke with you guys, we learned about Jesus being Moses. And we we learned about Moses bringing Israel, bringing the Hebrew people out of slavery and bondage to Egypt, all so that they might experience the promised land. And see, God's people had finally reached the promised land. They resided in the will of God, and they were sustained by God's provision completely. And, And God had set up this wonderful ecosystem according to his law and according to his leaders and according to his people. You see, this was the land that God had promised and they were to exist and flourish in it with God as their king. Now, you got you—you you guys have to make sure you understand this. You have to make sure you understand God established a government through his law. And sometimes we wonder why there's a bunch of just weird, wacky laws that just don't apply to us today, right? You guys ever read the Old Testament and some of like Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus? And there's just stuff that you're just like, this doesn't this is gross, this is unnecessary, this is absurd, okay? And, and we, we look at all these laws and we're like, how on earth does this apply to us? And atheists and, and, and non-believers, they'll take these, these chapters in the Bible and they'll be like, what kind of God do you worship? You have to understand, God established a government for Israel. For Israel to exist in, also that it, it might flourish where it was, among nations that were wanting to kill them 24-7. They had to keep this holy lifestyle. They had to keep this separated lifestyle. They had to uphold these certain laws all so that they can exist in a nation where the Messiah would then come in and liberate the whole world. This was the purpose of all these passages that we think are absurd and crazy and maybe seem unnecessary today, but they all point to facilitating an environment where the Messiah can come and liberate us, right? So... God had established elders over each tribe. He had established leaders. And they had counselors who knew the word of God and who can make sure everyone was represented well. And each tribe of Israel was represented not only by an elder of each tribe, but that elder had elders. And and there was this trickle down, this way for everyone to have equality and everyone to have this representation. And each tribe was represented well by elders, but there was no king. There was no king, there was a group of elders, there was a group of priests, and they, according to God's word, would govern according to what God would tell them. They had this beautiful government that God had established for them, God set up a beautiful system, and it worked in the book, until sin, idolatry, pride, right? Just the natural things that tend to mess up God's... Well, nothing messes up God's will, but God will have this plan for us, and we'll be like, come on, really? And then we'll go this way, right? And all of a sudden, we're just confused at why things aren't working out, right? Yeah? You following? The entire book of Judges, guys, if you guys have ever, you know, looked, at least read that caption, Judges, and then skimmed over to get to, like, Psalms and stuff like that, um, Judges... Judges is an amazing and super heavy book um judges it's it 's all about god 's people straying away from God, and then God raising up a judge, raising up a, a, a hero so to speak to come and liberate them so what would happen is is israel they they would they would without, with, without fail, they were surrounded by all these pagan countries. And so they they would always try to kind of inherit uh, the gods and the customs of the countries that were surrounding them. And, and, and one of three things always happened. One of three things always happened without fail. Israel would look at all these other countries. Oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. They would participate in pagan idolatry. One of three things would always happen. One They would make nice with pagan nations. Those pagan nations would trick them and then oppress them. And so then Israel would find themselves under bondage and under slavery and under oppression from other nations. If that didn't happen, one thing that would happen is that they would start to marry people from other nations. And so other religions would come in. And since their government was established upon the the law, when they would marry people from other nations, there would be other religions that would corrupt the leadership. Or would corrupt the lifestyle of Israel. And so that they would start to get sick. So if they weren't being oppressed, they were getting sick from the inside out. Another thing that would often happen is that they would start worshiping themselves. They would start getting into idolatry and thinking that they had all the plans. And they had everything that was right. And so people would start to war with one another. And judges, we also see different tribes of Israel warring with each other. Doesn't this really truly represent the three types of trials we go through? Doesn't it? You see, we are either giving ourselves to other people and they oppress us. We are either letting bad things into our lives and we're allowing our own hearts to oppress us. Right? Or we're at war with our brothers and sisters because we always think we're right. Right? So this really encompasses the three types of trials we go through. Other people oppressing us, us oppressing ourselves, and us oppressing each other. And this is what Israel would find themselves in every single time. So God would raise up judges, heroes. When, yeah, when Israel would fall into just... I wrote down on my notes. I don't know why. It was late. When Israel falls into poo-poo. <laughs> when Israel just falls into poo-poo. When they would get themselves and they would step in something gross. Right? When they would step in something gross, he would raise up judges, liberators, who, would call, who were called by God to get them out of the toilet that they found themselves in. Okay, They would get themselves out of the toilet. So the, these judges were raised up, and these judges, they were, normal, they were normal people. Some of them were farmers. Some of them, like Gideon, were the, less, the lesser of the entire tribe. People that you would never expect. Some were farmers, some were cooks, some were uh, rogue uh, uh, warriors. We see that there's a, there's a multitude. There's the rich, there's the poor, there's men, there's women. God raises up all sorts of judges to come. And when Israel ever found themselves in these trials and in these bad situations, God would raise up an individual and th- this individual would go to war for them. They would go and start to uh, reform the government, right? They would come in, they would offer leadership. They would offer guidance. They would offer wisdom. They would offer strength and power. They would fend off all their enemies, Or they would help each other calm down against each other. And that's what these judges did. And it worked. Guys, it works when God raises up leaders. It works when God raises up leaders. And there was two qualities that judges had that that were different from Kings. And we, we need to make sure that we understand there's a difference between a judge and a difference between a king. The first difference, guys, is that they were raised up as leaders of God for trouble only. They were raised up by God for trouble only. They left the governing to the elders and the priests. They would never govern the environment around them. They would never assume rulership over them. They would never say, hey, listen, I call all the shots now. You all have to do what I say. Here's the new way we do things. Judges would never do that. They were always raised up by God for the purpose of liberating people when they're going through trials and struggles. And then they would leave all the governing to the elders and to the priests. Because guess what? Plurality is power every single time, guys. God exists in plurality power. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, plurality is power. Always question authority who, when they only call shots from one guy. Always question that authority when only one person calls the shots. That is not the way God ever intends it. Even in Moses' time. Moses didn't call all the shots. He had people under him who would then delegate for him. Judges would never assume kingship over the entire nation of Israel. They would always delegate to plurality. And then when they were done, guys, the second thing, when they were done, when they had finished being, uh, liberating that nation, they would leave and they would give honor to God. They would leave. They'd say, all honor to God. I'm going to leave. You guys, my my, my job is finished here. It was Gideon in Judges chapter 8. It was Gideon who, uh, they they loved Gideon. Have any of you heard the story of Gideon? Gideon, just this small, ruddy guy, and he only had just a couple hundred soldiers against just thousands and thousands of people. And what he did, he, he, he was awesome. He was super smart where he had all of his, he had about 300 soldiers, and he just scattered them all over the place with trumpets to make it sound like there was way more people than there actually was. And they confused all all the surrounding armies. And Gideon just led Israel to victory after victory after victory. And after that, the people of Israel said, Gideon, be our king, be our ruler, rule over us, have your sons rule over us. And Gideon said this, he said, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Gideon refused every single Every single judge refused to be king because God is king. God is king. I think this is awesome. I think this is the way it ought to work. God is their king, God is the last word, God is the authority. And he will raise up leaders as he sees fit to fill needs. But at the end of the day, when the calm is near, it is not one guy calling the shots. It is not a couple guys calling the shots. It is God calling the shots. It is God calling the shots. So now we go to First Samuel chapter 8. Go to First Samuel chapter 8. We're going to learn about the last judge Before we get into David We're going to be learning about the last judge His name was Samuel 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 And we have it up here for you guys So you don't have to look at your phone Bible Now it came to pass when Samuel Samuel was old That he made his sons judges over Israel You guys notice that? What aren't judges supposed to do? They're not supposed to give authority to their sons, right? Right? We're, we're going to see the repercussions of that. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Bersheba. but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gains, took bribes, and perverted justice. So let's stop right here. Let's stop right here really quick. Here's Samuel. At this time, he was the judge of all of Israel. He was appointed by God to be judge in that time when Israel needed a lot of wisdom because the Philistines were starting to come in. The Philistines, they were starting to become a very huge threat to Israel. And at this time where there was division all over the tribes of Israel, Samuel came in and he brought unity and he brought guidance and he brought stability in a place where there was none. God raised up Samuel to be judge. God raised up Samuel to be judge. The Philistines were posing a huge threat and then Samuel made a huge mistake. When Samuel was starting to get too old to do his job, he passed on his duty to his sons. Listen, I've said this before, but God appoints leaders. God appoints leaders. God appoints leaders. Listen, just because you like someone or they're in your family does not mean they're called to do what you do. It does not mean they're called to be a leader. Just because someone's likable, just because you have a good relationship with them, doesn't mean you should give them that authority, that spiritual authority over your life. Does that make sense? I don't want you guys giving your hearts and and giving your submission to leaders just that you like. Does that make sense? You ought to follow a leader that God raises up. That God raises up and God has called to guide you spiritually. You don't just follow anybody that you think is cool right? And this is super big, guys. This is super big. Pastor worship is one of the biggest problems in Western church. Pastor worship is one of the biggest issues we have. And why do you think Pastor, Pastor Mark and I, were always switching, and then we'll throw in like a 16-year-old, right? <laughs> why do you think we do that? Why do you, why, why do you think we're, you know, we're constantly just tossing in random, random people, right? And then we're always switching. We don't want your worship, We don't want you coming just because of us. Does that make sense? And so you shouldn't be following someone just because you like them. You should be following them because they're giving you spiritual guidance and they're called by God to do so. And so Samuel made a grave mistake here by raising up people that shouldn't have been there. So we look at verse four. We're gonna put it back up in verse four. It says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to them, look, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us, king to ju- make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Stop there. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. What does Israel say? What does Israel say? He says, they, they, they say this, this whole judge thing, man, it's ruined now. Dang it. Man ruined what God established again. Right? Oh, man, you know, the church is so corrupted. Pfft, might as well just leave, right? You see, the, the, the people of Israel, they're like, ah oh, man, this is ruined now. This is ruined, right? One guy just ruined an entire system that God made up, man. Better, better just find a new plan, right? Better find a new idea, find a new plan. And instead of kind of coming up with their own ideas, what do they do? Look at the other nations. What, what's all the rage now? Kings. Kings are trending right now in Israel, right? They're trending in all the other nations, right? They're they're, they're looking at it and they're like, all the nations are doing it. Might as well have a king. Get with it, right? You might as well get with the times. Get with the times. You see, like that's a valid reason. Everyone else is doing it. And and we got to be very careful, guys, because we do this in the Christian community too, don't we? We do this in the Christian community too. Well, you know, there's, there's these trends that are happening in, in modern churches and I think we just, you know, they're accepting this and they're starting to do this. I think this is just the way Christianity's going. Might as well, right? God established something different, but do you know what? Times change, culture changes, right? We have to be very careful of this, right? We have to be, we have to be very careful of, of, of the way we follow trends of what we give our hearts to. Make us a king like all the other nations. Give us a king like all the other nations have. Go to verse six. Verse six for Samuel, chapter eight, verse six. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. Listen, this, this breaks my heart, guys. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and serve other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So God says to Samuel, guys, God says to Samuel, because Samuel's very upset at this. He's like, they want a king? God, but you're a king. You're king. Wait, did, did I do something wrong? And, and Samuel, uh, granted, he, he didn't make the smartest decision. So, so he, was, he was really getting beat up. He's like, oh God, I made a huge mistake. I don't know what I did. I'm so sorry. I made my sons and they did a bad job. This is all my fault. They, you know, I, I did this. I messed up your plan, God. I messed up your plan. Now they, they hate me. And Samuel's pouring out his heart before the Lord. And, and God just simply says, he says, Samuel... Don't be offended. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. Samuel, they, they're not rejecting you as a person. They're rejecting me as their king, as their God. Ever since I saved them from Egypt, they've been denying me. They've been running away from me. They've been, ever since I saved them, they've just been giving their hearts to other things, other people, other pleasures. I've never been enough for them, Samuel. It's not you. They deny me. I brought them from slavery, but they continue to act like slaves. Slaves to people, slaves to pleasures, slaves to their vices and their sins, slaves to the trends of other nations. Samuel, don't lose heart. They don't deny you, they deny me. Guys, I do this all the time. I do this all the time. I want another king in my life. I always want another king. I always want another king. I will reject God. I will reject God if it means that I can gain more status among people. I will reject God if it means I can have this relationship or this relationship. I will reject God because money can provide me and a job can provide me more stability than God can. I, I deny God because that person can fulfill my loneliness more than God can. I find another king because a degree will provide me more affluence and more, and more credibility than God can. This status, this, this place at work, more money, more power... And for some of you, you're not greedy like that. You're not greedy for money. You're not greedy for power. You're not greedy for status, but you are greedy for attention, approval. And I am constantly, constantly rejecting my God as king, also, that I can have a king like the other nations do. You see, I want to be ruled by things I can control. I can control other people fairly well. I can control my circumstance pretty well. I can control what degree I get and what I don't get. I can control my job. I can control this relationship. I can control these things around me. Therefore, I don't have to be formed by my God. I can form my God. And so the people of Israel are saying, we are tired of God calling all the shots. We are tired of God telling us what to do and God making us. So we are going to make a king and he will represent the desires of my flesh and not look out for the desires of my heart as God does. This is what I do every single day. That's what idolatry is guys. That's what idolatry is. I make a God so God doesn't have to make me. I make a king so God doesn't have to be my king. I raise someone up in my life, I I elevate them to a status that they don't deserve to be in, also, that I don't have to pay attention to God who's telling me to do something I don't want to do. And so, we all have our own gods. We all have our own gods. Don't deceive yourself. We all got that thing that we elevate as king above God. We all have that one thing that's constantly creeping and and grasping for the throne that God holds in our lives. And I don't want what God has for me. Therefore, I will create for myself a lifestyle that suits my desire. And my box of what I believe love, safety, affluence looks like. What I believe a truly peaceful life looks like, what I believe a safe, look, a safe life looks like, what I believe a relationship is, what love is, what affection is. I will pursue that as my king and I won't let God define it because it's hard when God defines it because it's not always what I want. We all have our own gods. Jeremiah screamed this. In Jeremiah 6, 2, he said, Can man make for himself gods? Such things are not gods. Yeah, Jeremiah would scream at us, These aren't gods. We, we make them kings over our lives. We, we, we put all these things in our lives that define us. But they're not God. They can't hold the weight of our identity. So when they shatter, so do we. When they crumble, so do we. And we see this, guys, in Samuel. We see this in 1 Samuel. They they finally end up choosing a man by the name of Saul. They end up choosing a man by the name of Saul. Now, since the Philistines were such a huge issue at this time, they chose a man that kind of would fit the part perfectly to defeat the Philistines, right? Uh, the, the Bible says that Saul was taller, he was stronger, he was more handsome, his voice was deeper, which just, that's, that's man right there. Like, that's like, I want a man who can punch the Philistines in the face, like all of them, right? I want a man that's taller than everyone. I want a man that's better looking than everyone, right? I want, a, I want someone who can just command authority, Right? If you guys have ever heard Pastor Ken Graves speak ever. (laughs) Like a bear of a man. And so he had a military pedigree and he seemed like a pretty humble guy at the time. And so they're like, oh, this guy's perfect king material. He's been in the military. He has this pseudo-humility. As long as he looks humble, that's fine, right? And so we do this. We pick the issue, then pick the king. We pick the issue, pick the king. So the issue then was Philistines. So they picked a king that would help them with the Philistines. So the issue is Philistines. The king was Saul. And we do this in our lives. We do this in our lives. We pick the issue. We pick the king. I am lonely, girlfriend, boyfriend, right? Oh, come on, guys. I've got you. (laughs) I'm insecure, right? Right? issue best king approval of others right i'm prideful best king surround myself with people who always compliment me right issue king philistine saw right i'm a control freak best king management position where no one has to tell me what to do right i'm a boring person alcohol right come on so listen guys listen we pick the issue we pick the king now listen now listen listen these are all great things in their own context are they not boyfriend girlfriend great in their own context yes approval of others good to have yes yes right? Alcohol, good in its own context, approval of others, uh, a good job, a good paying job, a management position, all of these great things, not supposed to be king as medicating your issue, right? Because what happens when the Philistines come knocking on the door and you put your king forth the one that you thought was going to liberate you. The one you thought was going to help you from this issue. The one you thought that you could put your trust in and your hope in. The one that you could bank all your money in. When your sin, when your vices and your insecurities surface, will these things be able to save you? Could Saul save Israel? We'll check that out in 1 Samuel, Verse 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'll have it up here for you guys. 1 Samuel chapter 17 says this. In verse 3, we see this. In verse 3, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 3. I'll give you a moment to flip there. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 3. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a variety, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and his, he was armed with a coat of mail, and a weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spear had weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come up out to line for battle? I am not a Philistine, but you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then in verse 11 it says this, if you're there, look closely. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So listen. Their issue was the Philistines. Their king, their medication for this, the one they put their hope in, Saul. The biggest one out of all of them, he was bigger, more muscular, had more military experience, good leader, brave. So they're like, oh, this looks like a great king. We'll make him king and he will defeat the Philistines for us. And when Goliath comes... It says right here in verse 11, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were greatly afraid. Goliath here does not represent the football games that look unwinnable or the schoolwork that looks unfinishable. We, we always make those the Goliaths in our lives. That's not Goliath. Life isn't Goliath, guys. Schoolwork, rough day at work, in the office, some familial issues. These can be Goliaths. That's not Goliath we're going to focus on right now. Goliath here represents the magnitude and the ferocity of our sin, our vice, and our insecurity. He is big, he is daunting, and he is terrifying. The sins that you can't quit, the addictions that you just cannot seem to kick, the insecurities you have that nobody else knows about, that loneliness you feel that grips your heart and you just can't get out of it. That bitterness you have, whether it be towards an individual or a group of people. That anger you experience, even if it's not really founded upon anything real, but you just feel it, angry. All of these things represent that Goliath in your life. That loneliness That loneliness is your Goliath. And that boyfriend and girlfriend that broke your heart or that you're putting your hope in or you're giving yourself away to unnecessarily, that's the Saul. That need to just feel alive because you're not alive with the Holy Spirit and God Craving in you, you 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 just you you feel like you just want to satisfy every desire your flesh has. That sex addiction, that porn addiction, that drug addiction. Those drugs are your soul. You think they'll medicate? You think they'll help you? And you know what? It can go into the really simple stuff too, guys. It can go into the really simple stuff. That boredom that you feel right? The anger. We put up these Saul's, and like we, like Israel, are frozen and incapable of defeating it. And Saul, like the kings we've put our hope in, are unable to save us. Unable to save us, guys. You see, and then we see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when we read the rest of the story, you see uh, Goliath had waited there for many days. Many days he would come out into the valley and he'd say, who's going to fight me? And he would be taunting Saul up in that hill saying, oh, you hero of Israel, you great king, the most mighty one of all. You're, not, you're too scared to even come and speak with me. Every single, there was an entire army before them, and not one man was brave enough to go down and go to Saul. I mean, go to, go to Goliath, not even Saul. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see that David, this little shepherd boy, David, this shepherd, 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 a shepherd, God in the Old Testament continually describing himself as what? A shepherd over the sheep of Israel. Yeah? David, This ruddy little shepherd, he leaves from where? His father's house. Sound familiar? David, the shepherd boy, leaves his father's house to go into the dirtiness of war. He sees Goliath. He sees Goliath before him. And and then David said to Saul, he said this to Saul. He said, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So David comes up to Saul. He comes up to Saul and says, guess what? I'm here. I'm a little shepherd boy. But do you know what? This Philistine's got nothing on the power of the Lord. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. So, so you guys seeing the parallel here? The shepherd leaves his father's house to go and liberate a nation. Jesus, leaving the comfort of his father's throne, his father's house, Jesus, the son of God, leaves his father's house to come into the dirtiness of war that is called earth and sin and the battle therein. That rhymes. Dang, I'm good. <laughs> David, approaches Goliath, and then we have it up here in verse 45. David approaches Goliath. In verse 45, it says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. In this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Verse 48 So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David and David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Stop there. Stop there. Listen. This is So good. This is so good guys. You see, David, David, he not he comes to Goliath. He looks at Goliath and he says, you've defied the armies of Israel and I'm going to show you I'm going to show you that the Lord's battle is not with sword and spear, but the, the battle is already won by him. And I will show you right now that the battle is already the Lord's. And it says, as Goliath ran towards him, it doesn't say David waited with his, his little slingshot in hand, right? You see, I, I, say, I think sometimes we imagine David just stepping back and he's like 20 feet away, right? And he's just like, man, he's running towards bam, right? But that's not what it says, guys. It, it, it says right here, David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. In John, when people were after to see Jesus' head, they were after to see to crucify Jesus. They were, they were trying to find him. He had been betrayed by Judas and all, and all the soldiers, they were, they were trying to find Jesus to go and crucify them. And Jesus, he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and he got up and it says that he ran, he went towards the people that were pursuing him. It wasn't like Jesus just waited and waited and waited. All right, I guess they're here now. He could take me. No, it says that Jesus, he went towards them. And it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, we, we, we think Jesus, the victim, like he was dragged away unwillingly to go endure the cross. But no, 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 he walked towards it. He walked towards the cross because he knew that the victory was already the Lord's and that he was going to take on the sins of you and I, everything that we've ever done, past, present, and future, and he was going to endure that on his shoulders. Jesus went towards the cross. David ran towards Goliath. He ran towards our sin. In verse 49, it says this, Verse 49 It says, Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But here was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. David cut off Goliath's head with Goliath's own sword. Jesus, Jesus, guys, defeated sin and death with what? Death. David defeated Goliath with his own sword. Jesus comes and makes a public spectacle of sin by killing death with death. He died on the cross, took on the death that you and I deserve because we have sinned and we have separated ourselves from God. One sin will separate us from God and it, ma- it causes us to die. And it causes us to experience this death because we don't just want a whole, an unholy God who's just like, murder? Yeah, get on in, Right? Our God is holy. One sin. We can't be with him. And so the wages of sin is death. Jesus, because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that so whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus endured the cross, killing the death that you deserve with his death. With his death therefore david ran and stood over the philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it listen guys where the world has failed to meet your expectations where people have failed you jesus will deliver you and this is classic church just fluff like yeah you know where where you fail jesus has made strong but you know what's so true it's so true guys And all these areas where you considered yourself weak, where you considered yourself incompetent, and you've been beating yourselves up because you're like, David can do it. Why can't I? Well, do you know what? You're not David. David is an image of Christ. He's the one with the victory. Christ is the one with the victory. Stop comparing yourselves to characters of the Bible that are supposed to point to the cross. You're supposed to point to Jesus, supposed to have you align yourself with the cross. We're not supposed to muster up this courage inside of us so that we can walk as the people of faith walked. No, 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 no. We are supposed to align ourselves with the lifestyle of Jesus because he has liberated us. And Jesus said, greater things you will do than I have done here on earth. A life lived by the Holy Spirit is a life that will exceed anything David ever did. And that's amazing, guys. The the fact that the Holy Spirit, God living in you, Jesus Christ living in you, the fact that Jesus promises you if you live by his spirit, you will do greater things than these characters of the Bible. You will do much more, much more. And we don't believe that. We don't believe it. Because we're lining ourselves up with the wrong character, the wrong hero. We're either looking at the heroes of the Bible and we're like, I can never be like that. Or we're looking to the heroes that we've already created for ourselves. And they're always failing us. So for some reason, we equate that failure to ourselves. Stop choosing them as kings. Stop elevating people further than they should be. Stop elevating substances, approval, relationships. Stop elevating those things higher than God life lived in submission to who jesus is is a life of victory and i love the rest of verse 51 and verse 52 when david defeated goliath it says this in the rest of verse 51 we'll close here and when the philistines saw that their champion was dead they fled Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. Guys, listen, listen. The armies of Israel were paralyzed by fear of Goliath. Paralyzed by fear. And when David went down there and when he defeated Goliath, and when Goliath laid their slain in his head off and David carrying in the air saying, this is it. This is your sin. This, this is, this is what you've been bogged down by. Right. Do you just imagine that this little like ruddy little redhead kid like, ah! right? This huge, just head, right? I, I picture Wyatt really. I picture Wyatt just like, ah! right? Just this head, just ah. man, putting it on his own spear and just like, go and get victory. That's what Jesus, you see, Jesus has already won. And so when David already won, the armies of Israel, they're like, heck yeah. And they went and pursued the Philistines. You see, since Jesus has already conquered sin and death for us, we can shout to the Lord and go pursue our sin. We can go pursue it and defeat it. We don't have to be victims anymore, guys. We don't have to be victims You're not a victim to your own vice. You're not a victim to your own discouragement and your insecurities anymore. Jesus defeated that. He defeated it all. It's been dealt with. It's been done away with. It says says in Colossians that Jesus made a public spectacle of your sin. Your sin was put to shame on that cross when Jesus defeated it. And so the army of Israel, they go and they pursue the Philistines, those who had oppressed them, and they're shouting out to the Lord. And they're making a battle cry. Jesus has given you victory. Pursue that victory and shout of praise. Jesus has given you victory. Stop being a victim. You're not. Israel, the only reason they couldn't win against Goliath is because they, were, they felt like victims. And they'd put their hope in a man that was cowering in the corner, Afraid. We put our hope in the David of the Bible, Jesus Christ. We put our hope in Jesus, and since Jesus has defeated your sin, and if you have given your life to him, and you have put over that sin to him, you don't have to be worried about it anymore, and you can pursue all that insecurity you felt so deep down inside. You can pursue that hurdle that you just cannot seem to get over. And and it says right here that they shouted a battle cry. They shouted, guys. That's what worship is. You guys know that? That's worship. Worship is declaring the victory that Jesus has already gotten for us. Worship isn't this desperation of feeling insecure, right? I I go to a lot of youth camps. How many of you have been to youth camps? Some of the most depressing times of my life have been at youth camps. Some of the most depressing times of my life because I just see all these kids who are just like, (laughs) like they they get in the corner they just get in this ball of their own insecurity when when the worship music starts playing that's not worship worship is saying jesus has given me so much victory so i'm going to shout to him i'm going to praise him and i'm going to feel broken before him but that does not negate the victory that he has through my brokenness so i will bow and i will feel broken before the lord but i will never feel defeated i'll never feel defeated And so Wilson's going to come up and he's going to lead us in that battle cry. He's going to lead us in that battle cry and we're going to take communion and we're going to feel the victory of the cross, guys. We're not victims to our Goliaths anymore. Jesus has dealt with it. Jesus has dealt with your sin. All that insecurity you feel, all those vices you've ever had, all that anger, that rage, let God deal with it. Bring it to his feet. Pray to him. Ask him to take it. And we're going to just let out a battle cry. And we're going to worship the Lord as he deserves. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion here. And communion is but a representation of that victory that Jesus got. His body was broken. He was broken on that cross. He lived a perfect life. And when he was on that cross and when that body was being broken, all of your sin that you've ever committed cast upon his shoulder. So you wouldn't have to deal with that burden anymore. And then we have the juice, which represents the blood that was shed for you. And that's when we are asked to enter into covenant with God. And he's saying, my blood is pure. It is not stained by sin. So I'm going to put it all over you. So when God, when you get up to heaven, God doesn't see you and your vice and in your insecurities and all the sins you've ever committed. He sees the righteousness of his beloved son who knew no sin. And so we take this as a family because... We are the body of Christ and we are blood brothers and sisters because of what Christ has done for us. And so as we worship, as we take communion, we're gonna give God that battle cry because we have experienced victory and we're gonna remember the cross, we're going to remember what he's done for us and it's gonna be a sweet time, amen? Jesus, we love you. We recognize that you are the hero of the Bible, Lord. God, there's nothing we can do that will get us out of your love, Lord. You loved us so much that you would pursue that sin with such such bravery, Lord. I pray that we would not play the victim anymore to our own sin. God, I pray that we would let you have victory over that. And that we'd simply pursue our insecurities. We'd pursue our vices. Because you've already given us victory, Lord. God, we shout to you and we praise you for all that you've done for us, for our liberator and our king, Jesus. You are the only king. We cast out every other king in our lives that we've put before you. And we declare that you are the only king forever. You are the only king. We love you. We give you this night. We give you our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.